Welcome to Hidden God, a podcast where we explore issues of theology and culture provided by Tulsa Bible Church. If you'd like more information, check out our website at tulsabible.org. So, Jared, you've got some uh, pretty creepy pictures of me up in your office. Care to explain to me why? Well, it was it was an incredibly welcoming <laughs> gift. I walked into my office this morning, mm. and I never know what to expect anymore when I come <laughs> into the office. Usually, usually, actually, I come in like playing a song, mm-hmm. trying to do something to mm-hmm. make people laugh. And right, right. Usually it, works. It, it, you know, I, I pride myself <laughs> keeping it light, enjoyable, all that good stuff. So. All of a sudden, I look up, and I've typically I have five pictures of my family mm. on my shelves above my desk, mm-hmm. and all of the pictures have been replaced or covered up by a picture of <laughs> yours truly, Daniel Newberry. And some good looking pictures too. <laughs> <laughs> so they're still there. I'm honored that you left them up. Yeah. You know, for I figured, and I, I mean, not not to you know, say anything negative about you, but I really did think you would take you longer to, to notice them just because they're kind of out of eyesight. And I just figured you wouldn't, you know, I don't know, maybe you, I guess you look at your family a lot more often than I thought you did man throughout the day. Well, it, it's like that picture in the, in the hall at grandma's house, right? Like after a while, you just know it's going to be there. So you stop right. looking at it, exactly. you stop noticing it. Exactly. And that's what I was expecting. But no, you, you noticed as soon as you walked in. I'm a, a I'm a researcher of my environment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <I don't> <laughs> Nothing. No. But, but thanks for the welcoming. Well, yeah, I figured you'd like that. You know, well, yeah. I just didn't think you had enough pictures of me in your office. So. That, that is very true. Yeah, that is true. I need to keep one of those. At least one. I think we know which one. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I walked in this morning, and and uh, Kirk was in here, and we were talking, and I was like, "Hey, is Jared here?" And he said, "No." I said, "Okay, I'm going to put some pictures of me in his in his pictures." in his picture frames and he was like oh yeah i'm all over that (laughs) (laughs) he goes in opens your door grabs some scissors we start cutting up pictures man that's good i feel loved yeah well we do it because we love you so we are uh now that we've talked about that we are continuing our uh series on cultural crises engaging the culture with the gospel and we this week we're going to be talking about kind of what are some strategies uh, that we see of that through Scripture specifically. But before we jump into a passage of Scripture, let's look at this holistically. We got to ask ourselves, what is God's mission? How has he called his people to carry this mission out, according to Scripture? Yeah, great question. And I want to give a couple resources before jumping into this, because this is mm-hmm. a, a topic that has been heavily researched mm-hmm. as of late. And holistically, people are looking at Scripture under the lens of the mission of God, which is really interesting. The two names that immediately come to my mind are Christopher Wright and G.K. Beale. Hmm. Uh, Christopher Wright wrote a book called The Mission of God's People. He's expanded that into several offshoots, different highlighting different themes and ideas. Uh, so he's a name you're going to want to be familiar with in theological circles to study this today. But also G.K. Beale wrote The Temple and God's Mission. It's part of... Uh, uh, new Bible studies series that came out where it's a biblical theology throughout scripture. And he takes the temple, the theme of the temple from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And he talks about how it communicates the mission of God, which is really good. But, Hmm. but churches often talk about missions, plural, 
in terms of international missions, missionaries, even local missions efforts for some, to some extent, like what are you doing to reach people in your community, in your area? However, you got to remember that there's always been one mission, singular, one mission of God. Hmm. And throughout the Old and New Testament, despite some practical differences that you see in how the mission is carried out, uh, there's always been one singular mission of God that's that's remained the same. And I think we start in Genesis 1, 26, 27 for that, the, the cultural mandate that's given to Adam. Um, we are created in the image of God, male and female. He created them in his image. Then he says, go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, um, which is in essence what it means to function as God's imagers. And then you get to chapter 2, of Genesis and the command to Adam is to keep and to serve in the garden, right? And those two commands are related to protecting the holiness of God. Hmm. Uh, they're given to the priests later in Leviticus. Uh, their function in the temple was to to protect and to serve in the temple. And in essence, that mission is is basically we have the presence of God and our responsibility is to expand that presence across our influences uh, into our families, be fruitful, multiply, so that the image of God can expand further and further into God's creation. Um, and we need to remember that whether we're in the Old or the New Testament, God is depicted as ascending God. That is his mission. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Christopher Wright, whom you mentioned a moment ago, has this great quote that, that just goes along with that. He says, it is not so much the case that, that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for the mission. And I mean, this just this is exactly what you're saying. God is a sending God. And how do we relate to that? We are the ones who are supposed to be fulfilling or, or, or pursuing that mission that he has sent us on. And so the basic framework of God's mission sending is seen in his character and persons of the Trinity. Trinity, You know, God has revealed himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And basically, the Father sends the Son, Jesus Christ, and then the Son sends the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit, he empowers the church, and, and God sends the church into the world to complete his mission. This depiction of God is something that shows us unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it should inform the way we read all of Scripture. Yeah, yeah, you've got a, a hermeneutic here <clears throat> that is going to reshape your theology, the way that you read Genesis through Malachi. Yeah. You still have ascending God. Yeah. And he's he's always been about the expansion of his kingdom. You get into the New Testament with Jesus and the Great Commission— um, it's, you know, there's, there's some slight differences, but the basic framework of, Hey, we're sent to expand his presence across the earth and to expand that glory. It's, it's a uh, universal throughout both Testaments. Oh, absolutely. And, and as we function as God's image bearers, taking us back again to Genesis one, when we go out or send others, we are imaging the sending nature of God. That's right. So there is, there's unity in God's mission, but there's also disunity. And you know what? What is the different? What's different about God's mission between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Yeah, it's, there's there definitely is unity. There's more unity between the Old Testament and New Testament than you'd like to believe, um, or that we might 
be accustomed to believing when we first look at those books and study them in terms of Israel and the priesthood and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there, there's some discontinuity. There's some disunity there that we have to point out, right? And so one of the biggest things in the Old Testament is that Israel was a centralized kingdom. This is a specific nation, a specific people group that came from a specific family. The promise, of course, started with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and it was going to be through his heir, through his bloodline, that Israel would become a nation, a family, to bless all families on the face of the earth. Hmm. Um, so you're very, you're constricted there in some sense. Now, Israel always made provision for the alien and the immigrant among right. them. Right. There was always, hey, leave the corners of your field for the alien among you, for the poor and for the needy to harvest. And that's the way that you can reach out to them. There was always uh, Exodus 19 is we are a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession to proclaim his excellencies among the nations, not just among Israel, among the nations. So you, you still have somewhat of a, a mission enterprise there in the Old Testament. It's a little different in the New Testament. The, uh, the mission was centered in a place. Mm -hmm. The temple, Solomon's temple, became the place of God's presence, his special presence. Of course, we understand that God's presence is everywhere at all times, uh, no matter what. Right. But very specifically, there's a special presence of God in the temple that belonged to Israel. There's the priesthood that mediated between God and man, which was the Levites. And the gospel call, essentially in the Old Testament, was come to God at his holy place in Jerusalem. So even for, for the Jewish people, the Hebrews in the Old Testament, specific amount of times, three times a year, they themselves were to go to the city of Jerusalem mm -hmm. to worship. Their big feasts and celebrations happened in their worship as a family and as a community happened right there. When you get to the New Testament, the people of God is emphasized that it shifts to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. uh, we have our our roots and our the tree of what God is doing is the promise to Abraham. That's the that's the foundation of all the missionary enterprise. However, we are now being, Gentiles are grafted into that plan, Romans 9 through 11, and we become part of his expansion of his kingdom through the earth. Um, the biggest shift into the New Testament, of course, is there is no more physical temple that right. we go to this place in Jerusalem. Jesus actually says, hey, if you take this temple down, if, it's, if it is removed, I'll raise it back up in three days. Mm -hmm. He's talking about his body not the physical temple. And everybody's kind of like, what What do you mean? This took years and years to build this thing. You're going to raise it in three days. Give me a break. <laughs> that was a shift in the enterprise of God's mission through the Old and New Testament. The priesthood of all believers, First uh, Peter talks about that. No longer is the priesthood restricted to the Levites. Now believers everywhere are priests. We ourselves, the church is a royal priesthood. The gospel call is is to go. It's not, hey, come to Jerusalem where God resides, where we worship. Now the gospel is go make disciples, reach people with this message of Jesus who can come and, and reside, reside in your life through the through the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Man, I am learning so much from you right now. It's yeah, <laughs> there's a it was centralized, we would say. Right. The kingdom enterprise was centralized in the New Testament or the Old Testament, excuse me, through Israel and Jerusalem, mm -hmm. it becomes decentralized 
in the New Testament through the church right. and its efforts. So a truly gospel-centered church, if you are proclaiming the gospel at the heart of that is the sending nature of God. Yeah. So you can't claim to be a gospel church if you aren't yourselves going out because that is the that is the essence of God. That's who He is. Right. Sends the Father. The Father sends the Son. Son sends the Spirit. Spirit sends the Church. That, in essence, is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the promise. Um, so a, a good gospel-centered church is also a missionary church, a, a missional church. Well, if I could, let me say this real quick, and just you, to correct me if I'm wrong. In the Old Testament, you know, this was the Israelites, like you were saying, there was a localized mission. Like if the world wanted to know who God was, they would come to Israel. And it created this issue for the Israelites where God was sort of within these boundaries and it was their their thing. Like he wasn't supposed to be anyone else's. It kind of became this, he's my God, not your God kind of thing, right. which is really where, you know, we got the book of Jonah and very different than most of the Old Testament prophets. Right. Um, but isn't, could we say that even today in our New Testament church, you know, in the modern day church, um, even though we are, our, our, our mission is, is not localized, we still localize it in a lot of ways and keep it within the four walls of our church. Oh, man. Yeah, there's, a, there's an, an emphasis of that throughout New Testament and throughout practical local churches and how they are, are doing their mission. Hmm. Um, but we have, a, we have a responsibility where we are specifically located the place where we come to worship is is typically it's a central place, but it's not restricted to that one place. Right. You know, so we should have a a local presence to our mission in the in the New Testament church. However, worship happens twenty four seven. Worship is something that we all always do everywhere at all times, mm. and and that is beyond the walls of any any building, any edifice, or anything like that. Hopefully, Solid. Hopefully that's ask, answering the question. But it, yeah, is, it is interesting that you bring up Jonah, right? Because he's the, he's the prophet of what not to do mm. as God's people. <laughs> right. He's, he's the one who ran from God's commands. He ran from God's commands, and he didn't think that the Ninevites were worthy right. of the gospel. Right. And so you, you see him kind of like sitting on the hill waiting for God to just destroy these Ninevites, he's he's mad. He doesn't want to bring them the gospel. Mm-hmm. In the heart of his hearts, he knows that God is a forgiving God. Yeah, and even these people need the gospel. So, so you see somewhat of a, it's almost a a foreshadowing of what the church should be. Mm-hmm. We should be reaching out to the Ninevites of the world. Mm-hmm. We should uh, include them in our missionary enterprise. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, if I could ask the question, where do we? see the church being sent out in the New Testament? Man, there's so many good passages we could go to. Um, Probably the one that stands out the most is the Apostle Paul, the Sermon on Mars Hill, Hmm. Acts 17, 16 through 31. So let's go there and just look look at that passage for a little bit. We got about 10 more minutes. Sweet. Um, In Acts 17, this this passage is going to start in verse 16. And Paul shows us how he engages the culture mm-hmm. there. And this is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the most influential passages for how to effectively do missions even today, even though it was written it's a, 2,000 years ago. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely. so applicable for us. I'm going to start in verse 16. Great. And then let's, uh, let's just read for a little bit here. 
It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was greatly upset because he saw the city was full of idols. And he was addressing the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in the synagogue and in the marketplace every day. Mm. Now, there's there's a shift there. Mm-hmm. Typically, the Jews, Paul would start his mission efforts in the synagogue and go to the Jews. Mm. Uh, here he goes, not only to the to the synagogue, but also in the marketplace to reach the Gentiles. Interesting. Verse 18, also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, and some were asking, what does this foolish babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. And they said this because he was proclaiming the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And they took Paul and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some surprising things to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. And all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived it, who lived there used to spend their time in nothing else than telling or listening in something new. So Paul stood before the Areopagus, and he says, Men of Athens, I see you are very religious in all respects. It's amazing. He, he starts mm-hmm. his, uh, his diatribe here. What do, you, what do we notice about how Paul is engaging these first few verses, this place in Athens, mm-hmm. before before he really says anything? He's doing a lot of things here mm-hmm. that the text talks about. Oh, yeah. Well, the first thing that you know stands out to me is he was waiting for them in Athens. He was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. There could have been many things that distressed his spirit, but the thing that stood out to him was that they were full of idols. And then continuing on, it's those very idols that he uses to say, I can see that you are very religious people. So he observes the culture around him, recognizing what what is the main issue that's keeping these people from God, from Christ. And that's what distresses him. Yeah. And we can see that even in our own culture. Man, yeah, this is, Athens is not far removed from no. the United States of America. <laughs> no. It's 2020 here. Yeah, and, and he goes, he addresses them, verse 17 talks about, in the synagogue and in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And this is where civilization happens. You know, the agora is the Greek word for marketplace there. And and specifically in these civilizations, everything happened in the marketplace. Right. Things were bought and sold in the marketplace. You would go and converse there. City leaders would be there. Um, this was, this would be kind of a central place of cultural influence to understand what is this culture value? What are they buying and selling? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. How 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 much value do they put on those things? One of the things they're buying and selling is idols, right? You know, and and this is uh, one way that Paul begins to address the gospel very strategically. So he recognizes the issue in their culture specifically, and then he goes straight to the source. He goes right where the people are, where they're doing the business, and he addresses just the common people at the marketplace. But then the situation moves to the Areopagus, Mars Hill. Um, and this is where I think we, you, you and I were talking about this earlier, Areopagus, it was, it was a location, but it was also where the philosophers, the thinkers, the influential thinkers of their time would spend their time discussing everything, uh, you know, philosophical idols worship. Yeah. The Epicurean Stoic philosophers were conversing with him there. They were asking him, you know, what does this stuff mean? We've, yeah. we've never heard this before. There's a, there's a dialogue and he is you have to assume that Paul is addressing them in a way 
that he's not turning them off. Mm-hmm. He's actually turning their imaginations and their th- and their thinking on yes. with the truth of the gospel. But one of the key elements that we have to point out about this passage, Paul is not waiting for people to come to him. Right. He's going out, he's doing his research, he's learning about this culture before he engage he like addresses those things specifically through his own words, through his actions. He's taking all of these things in and studying who they are, what makes them tick, what are their philosophies, what do they believe about life, all of those kind of things. Absolutely. He's not pursuing the model that says, you know, uh, cut yourself off from the culture, alienate yourself from the culture entirely. That's not the model he sees as effective, at least in Athens. And as we see in other passages of scripture, I don't think he sees that as effective at all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, ex- for exactly. his missions. Yeah. <laughs> But as as he um, begins this message and he says, he says, I noticed that you are an extremely religious in every respect. He doesn't say, I noticed that you're a bunch of sinners. You know, he doesn't start off just by, by, like I said, just like alienating him right there. He says, I noticed that you are, like you said, he's engaging their, their thought process. He's, he's, he's engaging their culture specifically. I noticed you're very religious. I've seen all the idols you have. In fact... I could pick out one of your idols, the one that you say is for the God that you don't know, just in case you missed one, right? Um, And he's like, let me tell you about that God that you don't know. So right from, he doesn't doesn't just turn them off and say, you're just completely wrong, deny everything you've ever thought was right, and and believe what I'm saying. He says, you know, you're, you're kind of on the right track here in the sense that you think there's something out there you don't understand. I can tell you what that is, and it's going to disregard everything else that you think is right. Yeah. It just makes a jump right to the issue, mm-hmm. which is worship. But he's gained some credibility with his audience. You know, he's right. man. You guys are religious. This is a very much of a compliment mm-hmm. to the people in Athens. He uses one of the inscriptions on their own idols to an unknown god. He enters in there, and and he's going to later even quote from some of their poets, their influential poets. So, verse twenty-two. Um, Men of Athens, see that you are very religious in all respects. Let's skip down to verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, mm-hmm. nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives life and breath and everything to everyone. From one man he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and fixed the limits and the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. from For in him we live and move and exist, and even your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. And mm. since we are God's offspring, we should not think the deity like gold or silver stone or an image made by man, man or human skill or imagination. Therefore, although God has overlooked such times of ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to repent. He goes right to the jugular, right to the resurrection, to a judgment day and to the person work of Christ. Wow. So what is, so do you have any other, I was going to move into application. Do you have any other takeaways from this before we do that? <clears throat> Man, this is, no, <laughs> this is good, but he's just, just to, to select the things that he selects to talk about mm-hmm. to that group of people. Um, similarly in our day today, we would say Paul going to the Areopagus or to Athens would be like, you and I going to the universities, mm. uh, the places of the greatest thinkers and philosophers, true, and bringing this truth to them. Uh, of course, he's spending time 
with marginalized people as well, mm-hmm. right? Everybody, he's walking through town. He's got places he can engage with sellers, people who trade businessmen mm-hmm. in that context. But the the real cultural influencers is seems to be what Paul is identifying as a breakthrough into the culture yeah. with the truth of the gospel. Absolutely. And, and even in, in, our, in today's time, you know, we think of a lot of the cultural influencers today and a lot of them are very hard to get to, very untouchable people. You think of a lot of musicians, movie directors, producers, and I mean, how am I, how on earth am I going to get to Chris Pratt or somebody? Well, he's a Christian, so he's good. But yep. you know, <laughs> get to these other, you know, these big time names. How am I gonna? I'm not gonna be able to get to them and talk with them. But I can comment on everything that they are bringing into our culture for the people in the marketplace, right. the people in my own uh, in my own area where I am. Yeah. And that's the priesthood of all believers. Is That's why it's so important for us to engage wherever God has us. Right. You know, and, and we never know. You might <clears throat> you might be uh, uh, 10 years from now, you might own Amazon and hawk it up with the greatest CEOs and, right. you know, businessmen of the of the planet. Um, we just we just never know whose lines we're going to cross and how mm-hmm. that's going to affect them with the gospel and so that's why it's so important to always always be on mission yeah and in reflection of our missionary god absolutely and a lot of takeaways we can take <clears throat> from this passage one of the things is before we engage in refuting a culture we should actually work to respect it hmm yeah absolutely and i would say um the second takeaway we could use is say is that churches should use accessible or well explained vocabulary. Use use the vocab that your culture is using. You know, don't don't bring in all the the Christianese, right? Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to talk about the word sanctification and stuff, but we can talk right. about the general ideas that they would understand. Yeah, the the pious babble right. that immediately goes over people's heads. I don't even know what that means. How yeah. can you be talking about it? Right. There's a there's a place to engage that effectively you really have to know your audience mm-hmm. you have to do that with wisdom mm-hmm. sensitivity remember let all of our speech be seasoned with salt yeah uh, so that we will attract people to the truth of the gospel uh, i love how paul employs respected cultural authorities oh yeah their images their craftsmen their poets hmm. he uses um figures and and mottos or a language that the people know well in order to bring them into a chance to transition to the gospel. I think that's so important. Oh yeah, very much so. And and then I, w- I would also say that I really love the way that he he makes the gospel offer. He offers it in a way that pushes the culture's pressure points. You know, yeah. so what are the sensitive areas in this culture? And he does it gently. But he does press on those points, and he he presents the gospel in that way, and that causes them to really think about it. Yeah. You guys are a pluralistic society. Right. Man, everywhere I go, I see objects of worship. Right. I see the the images. I see these temples everywhere. I see all this kind of stuff. Let's, Let's talk about that for a second. Right. You know, even in this, you've established an unknown God. That that unknown God might be a God that you're unaware of. Let mm-hmm. me tell you about who it might be. Mm-hmm. And if if this is true about the gospel, it's going to change the way you look at every other God, every right. other religion in your culture. Um, but you've got to give it a fair shot if yeah. that's what you're going to do. Absolutely. So, so yeah, engaging the culture is such a uh, 
it's an important topic for us as a local church. I think we need to remember that we're all on mission with God, uh, on his mission as a missionary ascending God. Mm-hmm. We always need to, um, let that be reflected, but also if we expect to be a gospel centered church, mm-hmm. A gospel-centered church is a church that is on mission, that is always going out, mm-hmm. going out. We can't just sit back and wait for people to come to us. Right. It's not going to be an effective way of reaching the culture. We have to go out into it with the truth. That's absolutely right. And I think that, you know, of course, there are, there are areas in the, in the scriptures where we see the church sending other people across nations to go to to share the gospel and that certainly is a part of what our call is but that doesn't disregard our own personal call to reach the people who live right next door to us or work in the same office absolutely opportunities are right in front of us always so yeah we're going to take one more um session for this cultural engagement cultural crisis series Mm -hmm. and try to finish that up before thanksgiving uh thanks for joining us what's uh yeah thanksgiving Thanksgiving plans, Newberry family. Yeah, just hanging out with the uh, all the other noobs and uh, at my parents' house. You know, bringing the pumpkin pie. That's Man. our. That's what we were given to bring. So, are you white meat or dark meat? Dark meat, always. Actually, I'm the only one there who likes turkey. What? Me? Yeah, I I know. This is I'm outing my family right now. Whoa, Rachel, myself, and Don, my dad. Don Newberry. I have to talk about this, sir. That's right. Yeah, everyone else <laughs> loves ham. They're all eating ham. We're the only ones eating turkey, and it's all dark meat. It's all we like. I wonder, is turkey and ham, are they both unclean? Yes. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I, th- I, I think, think they are. I think they are. <laughs> um, well, so Thanksgiving, Brandy's family's coming in town. Man. Oh, that's fun. I think. That'll be a good time. Whatever you say, man. <laughs> Actually, I, I am looking forward to yeah, it. I think course. it's going to be a... Of course. A really great time, and I'm in charge of uh, I'm in charge of dipping the bird in the old vat of Oof. grease. Oof, man, we do a deep fried. You gotta pull out all the innards. Eh, eh, usually, get somebody to do that for me. Yeah, old grocery store is good a place to. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to mess with that stuff, man. I'm not man enough. Next time, I'll talk about my uh, my one bird hunting experience where I had to clean some birds, man. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for joining us. We will uh, see you guys soon on Hidden God. If you if you like these episodes, please share them with other people and note that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you might be listening. And thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys next time.